Welcome to episode 46 of Peak Curiosity. I am your host, Abigail Carlson. Today, I have the Sherry half of the Brandt and Sherry podcast to talk about playwriting, youth group pastoring, and getting to know the real Jesus. Sherry is the producer and co-host of the Brandt and Sherry oddcast and radio show, and she's written several plays and musicals. Happy listening. Hello. Hello. How are you? Good. You? I'm doing good. Thank you. Can you hear me okay? Yep. Sounds great. Good. Hold on one second. Hey, Mom, can you turn that down a little bit? Thank you. All right. We're ready. We're now. ready now. Yes, you know, I was thinking you talk so um, nicely. That's not the word I want, but it'll work okay. about your mother. Uh-huh. And I'm wondering if we are going to get to have a piece of some of her wisdom or if you and Brant are the only ones and your brother <laughs> that get to have it. That's so funny because someone just sent me a Facebook message and asked, would we have her as a guest? And people have asked throughout my career, not just uh, being with Brant, but also previous to that, uh, to have her on. And so, uh, yeah, I don't know. Uh, even as we get more and more politically correct is not the, uh, there's just a lot of landmines when, when you're talking yeah. about things and that generation is not aware of it <laughs> <laughs> and doesn't really care about it. And so I would not want to open her up to that kind of scrutiny. Her wisdom is I'm, I'm able to take it, I hope, and, and give it in a way that people can you know, take it, but sure. I, I don't know that she would, she, she's not a public speaker in that way. So that's understandable. And, and it, you know what, it is wisdom and it is needed for, for what she would say. It's just, we, we are super, super sensitive right now as a culture and we will shut wisdom down if it's not said in a way that is, you know, pleasing to sure. us. And, and that comes from all of us, from our own, I think, our own kind of arrogance of who gets to talk to us, who gets not to talk to us, who, how they talk to us, how they don't talk to us. Like we, we're all these arbiters of wisdom and we end up having none. <laughs> yeah. Uh, how do you feel? Do you get frustrated having to be so PC all the time? Um, no, I don't think I get frustrated. I don't, I don't, I don't really strive to be PC. What I strive to be, is uh honest and to honor the lord to be humble and, and not think so highly of what i think <laughs> and uh and and yeah so you know doing what we do mass media you'll swerve into i just in fact just read an email of someone um not approving of some a, a certain direction we went right before i started this interview with you so you know, you'll swerve into that. I don't think about the PC thing. I just think about, Lord, is this the honest thing? Is this the honorable thing? And if it is, then if people don't like it, I'll have to go ahead and, and deal with that. Sure. And uh, yeah, so. How many angry emails do you get in an average day? <laughs> <laughs> not many, really not many. I mean, we talk about them, but it's, the, you know, you'll get one or two here or there. Sometimes 
when we hit a certain topic, you'll get a, a good chunk of them. I think phone calls are more of, of what we get, the, where we get the anger. And that is because, in my opinion, it's the radio and it's not necessarily a podcast. And so the way people listen to the radio, they've only caught 20 seconds of something or, you hmm. know, 11 seconds of something. And so they're responding in real time to the little tiny piece of a bigger thing that they got. And so I think if there's anywhere where we get, you know, a little more hostility, it's, it's on the phone. Hmm. Well, yeah. And then you get to hear exactly what they mean behind the words. Sometimes with email, it could be a little ambiguous. Yeah, it, it, it could be. I think email, uh, for the most part, it's been, you know, people can think through their thoughts too, you know what I mean, when they're writing something down. Sure. You're getting a, re you're getting a real emotion when that phone call comes in on that voicemail. And there are times where, whoo, whoo, I mean, people have really <laughs> gone there. And thank goodness it's only a 40-second voicemail so that <laughs> sometimes it cut them off right in the heat of their anger, which is very funny to me. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like oh man i wonder how much they how long they were that. gonna go yeah yeah that's hilarious trying to get that out god bless them yeah you know it comes with the job yeah i suppose yeah. well uh we should probably get started i tend to really okay. like to chat and forget to actually start so now i'll start <laughs> okay <laughs> so this is good so sherry tell my people a little bit about you. Okay. Uh, I produce and co-host the Brant Hansen Show. I have been doing that since 2012. Um, and in addition to that, I uh, have my mother who lives with me. I take great, uh, I love that I can take care of her. And when I say take care of her, she's mobile, she's vibrant, all of that, but I get to provide a uh, quality of life for her. Uh, I am an aunt to be two beautiful nieces, one who is 14, and I can't believe she's that old now, and one that is nine will be turning 10 in just a, a couple weeks. And uh, I talk about my family a lot because that's the, you know, that's the thing that really matters to me. I do comedy, I write, I write musicals and stuff like that, but the thing that is uh, most important to me is um, the people that I love and, and that God lets me care for. Yeah. I think that comes through quite nicely in your podcast. Thank you. Yeah. I hope so. It, it is true. I think that had I come to this level of platform with the Brand Hansen show when I was younger, uh, it would have, I would have put more stock in the platform itself uh, and in whatever I would have thought that meant when I was younger, but uh, now I uh, am hopefully mature enough to know it's something God gives us. It's something he allows us to do, uh, but it, it's just a part of this life that God has given me that I'm eternally grateful for. Sure. How, what, how much time do you spend producing the podcast every day? Oh, that's a great question. Um, okay. So this is wonderful because no one ever asked me about this. Um, <laughs> this, <laughs> what my job is um, essentially is Brant always talks about, and I think he talked about it on on your podcast with him um, about how he brings the content, 
And so I do not know what he is going to talk about on any given day. And that is very, 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 very rare for a radio show mm-hmm. or, or for any show with two people. Usually there are meetings, uh, show prep meetings, and we all talk about what we're going to talk about and our angles and all that. So it's very rare for one person to be coming in cold and the other person to be bringing everything in. So when we come in, we are recording for the radio show. And in the moment, I am responding to him, but I'm also producing mentally the radio show, which is different than the podcast. And so I'm thinking through how all of this content is going to be arranged uh, for the radio show while we're actually doing the content in real time. When that is over, uh, and Brant takes hours to prep, um, hours, I mean, he really does put a lot of thought and heart into preparing the radio show. So his, we always say the bulk of his time is on the front end of the radio show and the bulk of my time is on the back end. And so when we're done recording the content, I then take it, I arrange it, I cut it up and I prepare it for the actual syndicated radio show. When I'm done doing that, I then take it and rearrange it for the podcast. And so all of that together uh, usually will take me, uh, if, I, if I haven't gotten enough sleep and I'm losing focus and I'm in my extroverted, uh, um, scattered way, it could take me anywhere to five hours or so. If I'm focused and I've slept and worked out and had orange juice and uh, <laughs> protein and all the things I need to have, uh, I can usually get it done in about three and a half to four. That honestly doesn't take as long as I expected you to say. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it, I, I hopefully have gotten it down to a science. It was very difficult to, um, you know, arrange it in a way where, you know, the radio show is now done. Okay, now the podcast needs done. And then you have what are called affiliates. These are people who carry our shows and they all need things. And so it's, you know, I'm constantly juggling that in between doing the radio show and doing uh, the podcast. Sure. Full day. Yeah. Um, I can cut this out if you wish, but I'm just curious for my own sake. How mm-hmm. old are you? 48. You're 48? Okay. I'm 48. I just turned 48 on May 28th, and you do not have to cut that out. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, so the hardest part about prepping for interviews like you and Brandt and a couple mm-hmm. others I've done is that I'm actually so familiar with mm-hmm. who you are because I've listened to so much. It's actually kind of hard to find questions. Okay. So I'll throw that out there. I, um, I suppose... I have some questions about your playwriting because oh. that's not anything I know about. I okay. don't live anywhere where I could have gone to any of your plays. Mm-hmm. So number one, why playwriting over movies or short films? Uh, great question. Uh, my grandmother was a playwright and uh, I grew up watching her do that and learning about, you know, plays she wrote way before I was born and way before, I mean, gosh, it was before she was legally allowed to vote. (laughs) She was writing, you know, Mm -hmm. productions, full on, full scale productions with extras and costumes. And like, I I go back, they have their programs uh, for it and playbills for it. And she's having it at huge auditoriums. And so 
um, you know, you grow up watching that and that's, that's the life that I knew. So when I wanted to create, I just kind of fell right into that groove. Do you find it helpful in a way to have the limits of a stage so you don't just have like unlimited ideas and scenes and sets? Uh, what I find, uh, thrilling about the stage is that it ha it is always teetering on disaster. <laughs> so it's <laughs> at any given moment, it can fall apart. Right. And, and then how are we all going to rescue it? How are we going to make this work? It has to work. The audience is there right now. There is no, no hold it cut. Did anybody, well, that wasn't, it doesn't matter. Right now, in the moment, it has to work. Uh, that's the first thing is that, it's, I, I know that's weird, but I love that part of it. The other part I love is the collaboration of it all, is that there are, you know, all of these people who do all of their separate things. And we all had, it's, it really is, you know, theologically, the way the body of Christ is supposed to work, which is I can't run the lights. So if I write, you know, a musical, fantastic. No one can see it if the lighting guy is not doing his job and I can't go up there and do it because I don't know how to do it. So he's doing his thing. The person, you know, who's the stage manager is doing their thing. The actors, the who, everyone has their part and it's making this one big, beautiful thing. And I absolutely love that part of it. And when I am casting musicals and, um, cast and, and hiring people behind the scenes, I ruthlessly root out people who can't work in that type of collaborative effort. Uh, if, you know, if, if ego, I always say your ego is fine. What we don't need is your egotism. Like, so, so if, if you're not able to <laughs> damp that down, uh, I go back to my grandmother and I go back to her often just because she was just such a hero for me on any given day. She was the most talented person in the room. She could sing, she could write, she could play the piano, she could paint, she could, I mean, she was just so full of artistic beauty. But on any given day, she was the most loving person in the room. There, were, there was no artistic um, bouts of anger or depression or I don't know what to do or uh, everyone leave me alone, I'm having an artistic moment. Uh, she was never that. And so that is not what I learned about being an artist. And so I don't accept it. And then people can say that's what art, you know, you have these temper tantrums and all that. I don't accept it because that's not what I learned. And I will not tolerate it in any way, shape or form around me because of that second part. I love the collaborative part of theater is, is beautiful to me. I just love, we all have to pull our weight. And I know I'm talking a lot about this, but you hit something that I love. Um, and if you drop the ball, I can't be like, she dropped the ball. Like you can do that on a movie theater, I mean, movie set or on a TV set, you know what I mean? Everyone has their own little territory. That's not gonna work here. If someone drops the ball, I gotta pick it up or we all look stupid. <laughs> I think that, I <laughs> yeah. just love that. Lots I of improv that. and going with the flow and trying to get things back on track. Yes, I will, I, when I have actors going through a scene, and they're off book and one of them loses it, they'll call for the line and I won't allow them to have it because figure it out. You can't call for the line whenever we're on stage. So 
they it, it causes a trust between the actors in the scene to know she'll rescue me, he'll rescue me. Because again, I may think I'm the most good. If you and I are in a scene and I think I'm the greatest actor in the world, fantastic. But if you forget your lines, we both look dumb in front of that audience. So I better rescue you. You better rescue me. And that's what I love about theater. Yeah. So about the thing that it could fall apart at any minute. Yeah. Um, I think that might be why I'm usually not a big fan of plays. Now, granted, <laughs> I've mostly only been to little kid plays. Uh-huh. Which, uh-huh. on one hand, it's cute, but then on the other hand, I'm just embarrassed <laughs> to be there. <laughs> really? <laughs> Super embarrassed. Embarrassed for them or embarrassed for yourself? Or is it like kind of this that... Uh, it's it. What what is it about it? Is it like oh my goodness, this is so bad that it's. <laughs> it's it it can be that it's so bad it's making me sad. Other times, <laughs> it's like I'm embarrassed that you are having to go through this right now. I'm also embarrassed that I have to witness it. Yeah, I'm embarrassed yeah. that all of these people have to witness it. And it's funny. I uh, my grandma on my husband's side. Mm-hmm. She is really good at writing little skits that she'll do at church and sometimes any little ladies gathering, she'll make these cute little skits that are really <laughs> good. But the whole uh-huh. time I'm just looking between my fingers like, <laughs> that's my grandmother up there. <laughs> Cringeworthy. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And yeah. it always goes okay, but I'm uh-huh. always very nervous. Uh, no, I understand. I mean, people uh, in a similar way, uh, Brant and I just uh, did a little portion of the Misfit tour that we did before um, with all new material. And we had one, <laughs> one excruciating night. And it was the night where it was the very first night and we were trying out the material and there's nothing you can do. Like you are, you are on stage. Everyone has come there to see you. It's all new material. It's funny on paper. You think it's wonderful but you actually don't know if it's going to work. And some of it worked and some of it did not. And I remember his wife saying, because she was in the audience, that was excruciating. <laughs> <laughs> because you got to get through it. You got to yeah. work through it. it and as, as painful as that is, uh, for it's also, I, I just love it. It's one of the reasons why I love stand-up comedy too, is because you got you to gotta get to the end of it. You got to make it work. So tell me about the play that you did write, or have you done many? Uh, I have written many, but the one that we talk about on the podcast all the time is, um, it's called The Boldness Sanctified, and that is a long, drawn-out story on why it's called that. I'll just say that I used to write little um, radio theater vignettes for a friend of mine, and she wanted it to be like a soap opera, a church soap opera. And there's a soap opera called The Bold and the Beautiful. And she said, how about The Bold and the Sanctified? And I was like, sure, why not? And, uh, and so that it, I took those characters um, and made a stage play out of them. Now, the story behind that is there was a promoter in the city of Pittsburgh, where I am from, who asked me would I uh, put a play up. And I said yes. And I signed the contract and did all of that. And I had no idea what I was going to write on. And we had a date and everything. I had, not only did I not have a script, I didn't have an idea. And I came up, I had these characters and I thought, what if there was a black pastor and a white pastor and they combined their churches? What would that look like? Um, And that was the premise. And I remember 
thinking, okay, that's the premise. And then we had to promote the show. And again, I don't have a script. I just now have a premise. And I called my cousin who is a, who is a graphic artist. And I said, can you make up something that <laughs> looks like I know what I'm talking about when I actually don't have a script? And he did. He made up a promo of it. It was like a church, like an old wooden church look. And half of the, half of the wall was black and half of the wall was white. And he just had in red, can they make it work? And I was like, there we go. And so from there, I just started thinking through what that would look like, um, taking racial themes that were, you know, in the news at that time and in culture at that time, and just put him, putting them in this church space. And that's really what the musical is about, is these two guys who were friends from seminary and combined their churches, um, and they're trying to make it work, and it's falling apart around them, and they're trying to maintain that, their family, their friendships, and... Uh, yeah, that's the that's the premise of it. Awesome. I don't think I realized it was a musical. So not only it's a play, it's a musical. It is a musical. Yeah. Uh, the, the first uh, run of it, we had uh, Ruben Studdard, who was I think he won American Idol the second season. Huh. Uh, he was in it. And uh, yeah, it's 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 when you're dealing with something like race. <laughs> you better have music jokes, whatever you can throw in there <laughs> to make it OK. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, it is, it's very, very musical and I'm blessed to have a lot of talented people in it. Yeah. Um, did you write every word of it? Every word. Wow. Yes. That's amazing. How many pages? (laughs) I don't know how many pages, but it runs, uh, on a good night when everyone hits (laughs) their mark and their line, it, it goes a little over two hours. Wow. That's amazing. I'm thoroughly impressed. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. It was grueling. Very, very <laughs> grueling. <laughs> That's what I hear most writing is. It is. It's, I think, uh, Seinfeld said, you're cr- crawling on your uh, belly in glass. That's what, it, uh, that's what it feels like. And it's, you know, again, it's theater. And so everybody's waiting on your words. So it's not even, it, it's very different than even writing a book. You know what I mean? I'm writing a book. Okay, great. Hopefully people will enjoy that. But here, other artists, other professionals are waiting to take your words and do their job. So there is no, you know, I didn't, I just didn't feel inspired. Get it together. You know what I mean? The technical director has to make his cues based on your script. And so that, yeah, it's, it's, that adds a little more pressure. Sure. Just a little. Would you be willing to share a little bit more about your grandmother? Sure. I'm very interested. What was her name? Where was she born? When? Uh, her name was Ruth. Well, actually her, her birth name was Emily Ruth Hill. Uh, Howard is her actual uh, maiden name. She was a, uh, a very popular gospel singer in the city. And Emily was not a, um, wasn't a gospel-y name. It certainly wasn't a common African-American name at the time. So she changed her name to Ruth Emily Hill. So Ruth E. Mm. Uh, Howard Hill is her married. Um, she, uh, gosh, she was just so profoundly talented. She was born in Pittsburgh. Um, I think I want to say 10 siblings. Wow. (laughs) Yeah. And they were all very musical, a very, very, very musical family. Um, and, her mother died when she was, I believe, a teenager, and she ended up raising some of her uh, younger siblings. Um, 
she subsequently had my mother and her siblings, five of them, one of which passed away when he was a teenager. Uh, she made a, a little gospel group out of them. Um, her, her married <laughs> name was Hill, so they were the Hill Harmonettes. And I still have oh, pictures of that that I torment them with whenever I feel like they need to be cut down to size. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> I come from a very, very musical family. And like I said, um, she would do this thing where she would um, teach us about the Bible or, and do a Bible story. But she would have a blank canvas in front of her, like a, a easel with, you know, so, and she would talk about the, the Bible story and either paint or use some chalk or something and draw while she was doing it so that whenever she was done talking about whatever parable or story she was talking about, you had this beautiful picture in front of you and it just brought it all to life. And I just remember things like that. She was just always making something. And when you're, gosh, when you're four or five, She's just a superstar. Like she sits down and she hits something and there's music coming out of it. She just, you know, there's always musical people in the house. She's always, it, yeah, it, I just grew up in, in, in such a, a, a rich environment of not just music, but she loved Jesus fiercely, fiercely. She talked about him like he was sitting right next to her. And that made me think that that was possible. And all of these things you think are normal when you're 10. You think everybody does this. Who, and, and it's not until I'm like in high school or you know, beyond where I'm like, oh, other people didn't have this experience. Like when people you know, would, would argue about God or does he exist, that made no sense to me. Hmm. He's sitting in a living room with my grandma. <laughs> <laughs> I don't understand that. I don't see, and, and still a lot of times don't, um, so. I'm just eternally grateful for what she called our, our gospel heritage. She said, that's what I will give you, is that you'll know who Jesus is. And she did. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, I remember last week or so on the podcast, um, you talked about when someone criticizes God, how mm -hmm. you are like, now watch it. You're criticizing <laughs> yeah. everything I am. Can you... Tell me more what you mean. Yeah. Um, for me, in, the, in the, the life that I have led, um, when I was very involved in church and church things all the way up to the end of high school, again, because of the way I was raised, when I went to college, that all went away. And I realized I didn't know who Jesus was. And mm the true scary parts of my personality, my obsessiveness, my excessiveness, um, all my Enneagram sevenness uh, <laughs> came to bear, um, childhood trauma that I had went through, um, all of that, like all of that just kind of coalesced into um, a person who was really, really, really fun and was probably going to die early. And um, so that was a, you know, a course of several years of living that kind of life. Yeah. Um, I remember going to my uncle's house, my mother's brother's house. He was a pastor and sitting on his porch and saying to him, uh, I think I'm going to die. I think maybe I was 23, maybe just, just, 
yeah, I'm a, I am a, and people get this from the podcast, I'm sure. Uh, I'm, I'm an, I am an excessive person. I, I don't have the thing that people have where they, people are always like, well, sure, if you eat that in moderation or if you do this in moderation, I don't do anything in moderation. I either do something at a thousand or I don't do it at all. And so when you have that and it's, it's, you know, it's in the hands of the enemy, that's a life of just uh, terror in masked as partying. And so I said to my uncle, I'm going to die. And he said, uh, he's such a wonderful and wise man. I mean, he's looking over his glasses at me <laughs> and he said to me, come sit under the word. That's all you have to do. You don't have to change yourself. Come sit under the word. The word will change you. And I made that commitment. Okay. I will, I will come sit under. I remember the scripture that said, when I entered your sanctuary, then I understood. And I took that and said, okay, I'm going to sit here. And if, if God's word is what everyone says it is, it'll change me. Uh, and it did little by little, little probably people want it change quicker. <laughs> <laughs> I get that. So did I. So it was a slow process, but he did change me and he rescued me. And so the, I, I don't, I understand having an intellectual argument about things, but how do you, how do you do that? Like, when someone literally pulled you up out of the ocean when you're drowning. If you tell me that person doesn't exist, then how am I alive? Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. So for me, um, that's, that's my experience. And so I, there are a lot of discussions I just won't get involved in. And, and people can say, well, that's because you don't have an answer. Uh, my life is the answer. My life is the testimony. I can tell you about that. The Bible tells me to have an answer for the hope that lies within me. That does not mean that I have to be an apologist. I'm not. I'll tell you why I hope. And it's because I know what he did for me. I, I, I know who I am. I know what I'm capable of. I've seen it. He delivered me. And so I'm not, you have to know that when you want to talk to me about my savior because he is my savior. Yeah. Yeah. It's not an intellectual experiment for me. I really like that because it is hard. Not everyone can be an apologist and not everyone can know all of the things about all of the evidences for all the, all the (laughs) prophecies and all of the things. So that's really awesome. I know him. I I can tell you about him. Uh, if you if you want to do battle with me over dinosaurs, I don't have it, and I'm not gonna <laughs> pretend like I have it. I'm not gonna pretend like I know that, and and I'm not gonna pretend like you know that. How about that? Like, there's a lot of people arguing on the other side, and you don't know either. So let me tell you uh, what Jesus has done for me. And yeah. if you're not interested in that discussion, then hey, let's talk about movies or entertainment or something fun. Yeah, I like it. What was the Jesus that you thought you knew, but later found out was? not the real Jesus? Uh, he was, um, he was really stern. He was really, you know, Brent and I talk about on the podcast, how we, they used to show us those rapture movies. that would just scare the living daylights out of you. You just thought <laughs> God was so excited to leave you behind. Like, and so if, if you, any little thing you were caught up in or messed up in, he was going to come right back then. 
just to just to make sure you know you, yeah you know, like, and that's so you know I had a lot of that you know in me and in, in the church that I grew up in and God bless them they, they you know they were wonderful in their own way but the, there was a lot of that um and, and so you know that that's what I knew is that he was just he he, he was a kind of a principal you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I don't know anyone who's like, oh, my principal, it was a fear, you know, <laughs> yeah. what I mean? a concern that he was over this school. And if he if he showed up, it wasn't all it wasn't a good thing, you know, and I did not know. I mean, this with all my heart. I did not know how committed he was to the process of changing me if I would humble myself. I, I just thought I was supposed to change me. And he was sitting there with his arms crossed waiting for me to get it together. That's, that's the Jesus I thought I knew, but I, uh, I found out differently. Thank God. About how long after that did you get into youth pastoring? Hmm, probably too soon. (laughs) (laughs) If I could go, if I could, oh, sis, if I could go back, I would change that. I mean, God is God and everything worked out the way it was supposed to work out. But um, yeah, you have it, you know, then you get this, then you, you fly to the other side. Now you're, now you're zealous without knowledge, the Bible calls it. And I would say a good portion of being in youth, me being in youth ministry would be defined as that zeal, zeal without knowledge. Uh, so I would say probably about three or four years after that kind of conversion and turning my life over and having these little changes in my life uh, is when I, I, I didn't start out like, hey, I'm going to be a youth pastor. The way it started was I had a childhood best friend who went to a church in my, uh, we're from New Kensington, Pennsylvania, right outside of Pittsburgh. She went to a church um, and I went to a different church. And we would talk about how, I mean, we were in the hood and we would talk about how during the summer, there's kids everywhere, just just like aimless, just out. And that's when trouble starts. And so I wrote some little kind of play or something and was like, what if we just gather, like just go out on the streets and be like, who wants to be in a play, right? And we're like, okay, yeah. And so we did that and just, a ton of kids are like, sure. And there was a Salvation Army in our area that allowed us to use their building. And that's how it started. So it really did, it didn't start with me like this, you know, the typical youth minister trek. It started with me just saying, well, how do, how do you get kids, you know, to stop fighting in this, you know, on the streets or out and, you know, getting in trouble or write a play. And then one that can act and sing, they can do that. Uh, technical, whatever. And and it really kind of grew out of that. And so already I'm, 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 it's a, it sounds like a really novel idea. It sounds really great. Like, wow, that's wonderful. But I'm already kind of beyond behind the eight ball because I'm starting from a performative base. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Like I'm not start, we're not starting this theologically. We're starting it with performance and people are coming for performance. Now to be sure, you know, kids, you would do it all through the summer. We'd have rehearsals and everything. And then right before school, we'd have a production. And then, of course, they invite all their parents and they, you know, and their family. And so you have the Salvation Army jam-packed full of people who wouldn't normally come to church. So it's a novel idea. It did work. You know, there are kids to this day who stayed in the youth group, graduated, went to college and all that from that experience. Uh, but again, I, I was... I, 
I wasn't really in the place to be leading people. <laughs> God had mercy, and I'm grateful. Yeah, and if you're only like 27-ish, you know, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. pretty young. I remember yeah. my youth pastor, when you're a teenager, people who are in their 20s seem old. Mm -hmm. uh, but he was 21. Mm. And so now, as we're friends, I'm now I every once in a while will ask him, wait, how old are you? Wait, you're only like three years older than me. This is weird like now. <laughs> That's the craziest. Yeah. Yeah. I don't. Um, uh, I have mixed feelings on youth ministry overall, and I did it for a very long time. So that let's I want to make that clear. I did it for a very long time and still look back and, and think of the model that we have right now and could use use a little tuning up. Sure. Yeah. Sure. So number one, the Bible says women are not supposed to teach. So, mm -hmm. I mean, why is youth pastoring allowed? Are you allowed to teach as long as somebody's not an adult? And then where's that cut off? 18, 21, like yeah. Obamacare, 26. Like, where does it end? <laughs> I don't know. So that's a very good question. And I don't think anyone is answering or asking. Um I, yeah, I don't know. I, I just, gosh, I just did stuff. And, and there were people who didn't want me to do stuff. And there were people, I, w I really was so arrogant and so thankful that God had mercy on me because anything that came in my head, I was like, yeah, sure, let's do it. It's, you know what it is? It's that same obsessive, excessive personality. And then you put it in a church setting and hopefully in God's hands. And then it's like, there's, there was nothing that I had. I didn't have any kind of, oh, hold it. People may not like me there, or may not like me to say that, or may not, I didn't have that. I was just like, sure, do it, do it, do it, do it, do it. So questions like that, I'm, uh, you know, I'm sure people had that with me standing up there and running my big stupid mouth. And, and I ne it never crossed my mind. <laughs> just keep wow. going. <laughs> huh. Well, I mean, on the bright side, you don't sound like an overthinker. So there's that. No, I, I yeah, I think that if anything, I'm grateful for um, being with Brant for many, many reasons. One of them is he he is an overthinker and it is a, you know, contemplative. And it has taught me to be that way, to be self-aware in a way that think through that before you do that, say that, you know, that, like think through that that's not my normal way of being quite frankly. And so uh, I'm grateful for how, you know, our friendship and being brother and sister has grown me in that way. And, and I'm very grateful for that because I watch him and I watch him think through his words and think through how, how he is going to approach a situation. And, you know, really thinking like, wow, look how he did that. He didn't just go off the top of his head. He actually thought through that. And, and he's taught me in that way. He really has. It sounds like you have a pretty good relationship with a lot of the kids in your youth group. I do. Yeah. So how did that come about? Because I know I am still really good friends with my youth pastor. And like I said, we're only a couple years apart. So it's yeah. not... um that unusual I suppose but it's just that a lot of the kids that I was in youth group with just are off doing their own thing most of them aren't 
following Christ anymore. Mm. So I'm wondering if you know what you did that allowed you to stay in relationship with these guys over such a long period. I, I think um, my, da- my dynamic was very different. I was, I was not in a suburban setting. I was in an urban setting. Um, these were kids who came to church and their parents did not bring them. So mm. they were coming just because, again, this started from them being in a play or being in a musical or whatever we had done and then just sticking around. And I think that I became, for a lot of them, a maternal figure, um, a, a nurturing figure. So it was, it was beyond like the, the youth pastoring of, you know, here's our curriculum, here's our, you know, you know lesson and all that. It was, Miss Sherry, can you come down to the school? I forgot my, you know, whatever. Or, you uh-huh. know, Ms., you know it, it's kids who, like some of them, their, their parents didn't have a graduation party for them because they didn't care. And so mm-hmm. I had their graduation party for them at the church. Or uh, before I started the job with Brandt, the deal breaker was that they wanted me to start a week where one of my kids was graduating from college. And I told them if they wouldn't postpone it for a week, um, I, I wouldn't take the job because her mother passed away when she was 14. And I committed to God that I would stay in her life and be a, a figure in her life uh, until I would get her through college. And so it's a different dynamic, I think. It, w- it was, yeah, I, was, I played a different role for them. It's youth minister, but it, it was very uh a maternal thing and so me not having kids people are like oh don't you wish you had not i think i've raised enough (laughs) i raised enough kids i think yeah yeah i'm sure i'm sure that you're coming at this with a very honest heart Mm -hmm. but when i think about if i wanted to put myself into a mentoring position Mm -hmm. i catch myself thinking are you just God's gift to them? Are you yeah. just, yeah. So how do you approach these things without feeling like you're trying to take control over their life or put undue, is that a word? Undue? Mm-hmm. Undue mm-hmm. influence into their life and be like, you need me. Yeah. Again, that's a great question. Um, I, I think younger, when I was younger, and obviously they were younger, I, I think that line probably blurred a lot and God had a lot of grace and mercy and covered me. And that's all I can really say is that God covered me in that area. Cause I think I was, uh, very arrogant and did think that my way was the highway. And, uh, and so I'm grateful for his mercy and his grace, uh, now in their lives. Uh, and I just did this today with one of them. Actually, I said, here is what I think. Now, it does not have to be what you think. You don't have to do what I'm about to tell you. I am only telling you what I think, and I will support you if you do the complete opposite. I just want to tell you from my position as an older person, having gone through some of the things you're going through, here's my perspective on it. And then I leave it at that. And they can do it. They cannot do it. Uh, As I tell them, you're, you're an adult. You know, just know that I'm supporting you. And you asked me, so here. <laughs> yeah, there is that. Here's what I think, yeah. If, if they, I, that's the other thing too, is a lot of times if you're not asking, you know, I, I'll wait till you ask. And then when you ask, I'll tell you, but I, I don't.
put any pressure on you to do what I said. And it's important that you know that I support you. Yeah, that's totally fair. When it comes to youth group, I see a really hard balance that I have no idea what to do about. I mean, Mm -hmm. but you have this idea of you want to do some things that get the kids coming. You want Mm -hmm. it to be a fun place to be. But if it's too fun, then are the people there because you're just playing games and having pizza every week and Mm -hmm. you're going and doing these fun things and they aren't coming for God? How do you balance that? I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. I I probably didn't. Uh, You you bring up a very valid point. It's part of my, in retrospect, looking at our youth ministry model in this country, um, in this church culture in this country, uh, that you, you couple, I'm going to be very honest here and you, and you can listen back to this and you may have to cut this out, but you'd couple that with a lot of, uh, us who were in that position and are in that position are building our own esteem on this ministry. Meaning, you know, if there's 50 kids, oh my goodness, I'm awesome. If there's three kids, I'm not awesome. If I do an altar call and they all come up crying and they want to accept Jesus, my God, I am, you know, the next coming of Moses or Paul or, or Peter. If they don't, then I'm destroyed. Like so much of my personal self-esteem is tied into it. Right. And so it's a messy, messy scene. And, and, uh, it, in some ways it, I'm guessing it was put there to help, uh, the family and, and help, but, it, but, you know, that kind of rearing in God's word and all of that is really a family thing. And I can support you, but I found myself once my youth group kind of grew and, and more, uh, uh, more suburban kids started coming. Uh, it was such a tug of war of like, okay, I can teach you certain things, but I'm sending you back home. What were y'all doing there? You know, I can't control that. So it's, it's just, the, it's, it, it is a, there's a lot of benefit to it. Obviously I'm still in a lot of kids' lives, but it's, it's a very difficult uh, conundrum that you brought up. And I don't know how to, I, even, I'm sure there are people who do have the answer and they're probably screaming it at your podcast right now, but I don't have the answer to that. How do you draw them to Christ? Not to the building, not to the games, not to you. Yeah. 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 Uh, I, I don't know. It's a very diff. I would argue that's difficult in youth ministry and it's probably difficult in overall church culture as well. Yeah. I will say that what my youth pastor did super well, and Ken, I hope you're listening, um, <laughs> is that he really cared about the Bible and he okay. took it so seriously and was able to communicate it in a way that made me feel like I need to take this seriously too. This matters. Yeah. And I also think that he treated us like we were really smart. He didn't talk Mm. down to us like we were kids. And those couple things I think really, really helped. I think that's great. Ken, if you're listening, I honor you in that. Uh, (laughs) I, I think that, um, yeah, I think in the beginning, it's exactly what I said. Mine was really performative. It's because what I knew and it's what drew them in. And, uh, and I don't think that that was healthy because they were there 
to perform. And that's what, you know what I mean? Yeah. And we're all just happy that they're here in church. Um, as I grew and, and matured, I knew that I needed to do more Bible and ended up getting my degree in biblical um, studies and, and did that. But it was still, yeah, it was, it, it, I don't know that I did it well. I'll be honest. Kids are still in my life. I just went to one of their weddings and it was beautiful and was very grateful to be there. Uh, but I just know God covered me. He had grace and mercy on me and on them. But I don't know that I did that well. I really don't. Yeah. Um, I'm going to make a really sharp left turn in this conversation. Um, I love sharp left turns. Okay. So I know that you are super scared of birds for a reason <laughs> I don't know, which I will get to in a minute. <laughs> But I wanted to validate your fears by okay. giving you some really scary statistics about ostriches. So Yes, I'll take it. Thank yeah. you. So they live 30 to 40 years. I mean, yeah. Really? Yeah, apparently, according to Wikipedia. And their eyes are bigger than their brains. So that just tells you how smart they are and how out of control they could get. <laughs> <laughs> There's something theological there that I'll have to unpack later. Okay, okay, do that. Yeah. Okay. Write that down. Next, uh, they can run like forty-five miles per hour. Uh huh. Uh huh. And they yeah. have two toes on each foot, and mm -hmm. each toe has a nail or a claw that is ten centimeters long. So they yeah. are vicious. Yeah. Yes. I I will say one of my favorite. This is weird. <laughs> I I have a favorite ostrich uh quote, and it is from Brant Hansen. And it's because we had, um, me and my mother, I had taken her to um, a safari they have down here, right? And you drive through and the animals are out there or whatever. And there was an ostrich that had a really, he was very, he or she, <laughs> was very mean spirited. You could feel it. And like, so I said to her, this isn't just my normal uh, neurotic of, of fear of birds. This bird wants to hurt us. And we're all in like a line cars. And I said to her, I promise you on everything, mama, if this bird gets closer to this car, I'm peeling off in whatever direction. If I got to go through a herd of cattle or whatever and mow down animals, I don't care. Because we were in a line, like kind of looking. And so I'm telling Brant this. And I was like, it was, you could feel like, I, call, I said the thugness. You could feel the thugness of the bird. And he said that, that ostrich can't fly. So he said, God would have to give the ostrich this attitude because if not, he said, it's just a big, delicious piece of meat standing on the side of a mountain. And that is the funniest thing. <laughs> <laughs> a big, delicious piece of meat that yeah. can't fly. <laughs> yeah, they have to have some defense of some sort. And he I suppose it, yeah. it's thugness. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so thank you for that. Thank you for You're welcome. Now, a more maybe valid fear, because you don't run into uh, ostriches just uh, normally. Mm -hmm. I found this other bird. They're called a shrike. So they a are shrike? a shrike. It's S-H-R-I-K-E-S. They're okay. really tiny birds. I don't know if you can see this little graphic I have on my phone. So... Uh. Okay. I'll try this again. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, a little okay. tiny. So the thing is, they're so tiny that they can't carry food 
So they mm -hmm. will kind of carry it. They'll get a grasshopper and they'll find a sharp stick or a barbed wire and impale it <laughs> and then eat it off of like a shish kebab or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Or corn dog. So, I mean. <laughs> <laughs> this is exactly what I knew was going on. I'm so yeah, glad. Yeah. I can't wait for Brent to hear all of this. Yeah, me either. Yeah. So, but for real, why, <laughs> why the bird thing? <laughs> when I was two, I believe, my mother was watching Alfred Hitchcock, The Birds. And I walked into the room and took that in uh, <laughs> for a while. And she's and she to this day she feels horrible about it. If you bring it up, she's um, just so upset. And she said, "I didn't know that you would be able to comprehend that." And I said, "There were blackbirds pecking people's faces off. Like it doesn't take a lot to to really understand what's happening there." So that's what it was. And uh, yeah, it's it sticks with me. And uh, it, it really is a thing like it's not it, it's very funny because my friends, everyone who loves me and is around me kind of goes into, you know, bird mode whenever like, you can't eat outside unless I ask. Like when you go to a restaurant, what is your bird situation? It, oh, my and, goodness. <laughs> my friends will ask, what is the bird situation at this restaurant for us to be able to eat outside? Their heads are on swivels looking for birds when we're together because I will freak out. It is it is not. Even uh, if you just see like a friendly little pigeon. Nothing's friendly. You just told me two situations, right? We don't know what they're out there doing. No, any anything <laughs> like that will send me completely over the edge. And so it's a, it's it's a real thing. That's hilarious. OK, so <laughs> this reminded me that when I was little, I used mm. to have nightmares about getting pecked by a bird. And um, usually, where did that come from? It came straight out of Bugs Life. So you know, we're in the ants are in the little crack, and there's just a normal sized bird, but pecking huh. down at them. Well, yeah, I would yeah. just have wake up screaming, just being pecked at the face. So I actually can relate, although I think by the age of eight or nine, I think I had outgrown the nightmares. No, no, I'm I'm, I'm going to take it to the house now. At 48, let's just go and take it on to heaven. Yeah, why not? <laughs> We've gone this long. No need to let it go now. Oh my no, gosh. I mean, it's, it's, uh, it is a thing, and uh, it's a quirk. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure it's quite endearing. Uh, it, it, it can be annoying to friends. I mean, you want to eat outside and have a good time, and, or you want to go to the beach and not have me freaking out because someone's oh, feeding, yeah. you know, the seagulls or something like that. So it, it can get on their nerves. They love me through it. Mm. Well, that's nice of them, I suppose. <laughs> um, is there anything else that you would like to touch on? Is there anything else you would like to touch on? Well, I'm here for you. I had written down um, your Urban Bible Stories, which you just put out your Ruth one, which... Yeah. Um, has my full approval. I laughed out loud quite often and I played it for my nephews and they just were like, this is hilarious. They really liked it. So that's sweet. Thank yeah. you so much. I appreciate that. I was shocked by the, the response. I mean, uh, again, this is just my kind of backward way of doing what my grandmother did for me. Uh, I can't draw, I can't paint, can't do any of that. I can just talk and write. And so uh, this is my kind of way of, of talking about scripture with my nieces in a way that's compelling to them. 
and uh, and then kind of just sharing it with you guys. And I've, I've been shocked by the by the response of it. Um, so thank you. I appreciate that. It, it's it's a fun thing to do. How many of them have you done? I have done quite a bit, actually. When Brant and I first started uh, and I was in um, California, we were in Sacramento. Um, I was just terrified. My, my youngest niece was five, maybe uh, my oldest niece and the baby had just been born. And I was just so I was so involved in the five year old's life from the like I watched them wheel her out of the delivery room. And so she was my heart. And um, I was so afraid that they weren't going to know me I'm 3000 miles away now. Right. And that was just that that almost kept me from taking that job. My sister-in-law, to her credit, God bless her, uh, took me on a drive one day and said, I'm not going to let them not know you. We'll do everything. They will know you uh, because, you know, it's meant the world to me. So anyway, uh, I started doing those so that um, my brother could play it for them before they went to bed and they would hear my voice. That's actually yeah. what, how that started. And so I got a ton of those. So we would, did, you know, parables and stories about Jesus, all kinds of stuff. I would just do them and just wrote people into doing the voices for them and then send them to my brother. And he, it'd be like a, a bedtime story for the girls. Yeah. How long does it take to do each one? Because there is a lot of, you know, you're fading one music yeah. in to another, to yeah. different voices and... Yeah, it doesn't, it, you know, I, I love that. That is, that is a passion of mine is audio landscaping things. And so I do all of that. I have wonderfully talented friends who record uh, the voices and send them to me. Um, and so, it, it, you know, if I sit down and just hunker down and focus, I can finish an episode in about uh, six or seven hours. And, uh, and, and it's all joy for me, all joy. I love it. And to me, it, it makes the word of God come alive uh, to others. It may be sacrilegious, and I certainly would understand that. But to me, uh, it's, it's, it's a language that my nieces understand. And sure. that seems, that seems Christ-like to me, to speak to someone in a way they would understand. So of course. I love doing it. I really do. Next, next, next one will be Nehemiah. I'm very excited about that. Wow. Well, yeah. I'm excited to hear it if you decide to share it. Yes, I think, well, let's get it together and see what it sounds like, but yeah, I think, I think we'll share it. Yeah, I'm very excited about writing it. I'm very excited about adding music to it. I think in the one that I did for Daniel, uh, there was some singing. I had someone write a couple little songs for it. Uh, this last one was, there was a rap of some sort. So uh, yeah, I'm excited about adding that, that kind of music and stuff to it and just making an experience. Sure. Okay, so I have a couple more questions along the line, but I have to ask a favor first. I need yeah. to use the bathroom, and uh, yes. apparently I can't make it an hour, so I'll be back <laughs> in like two minutes. That's fine. Okay, I'm good. Thanks. No, no problem. All right, now I can focus a lot more. Okay, I'm sure. It's always good to focus. So <laughs> <laughs> I'm doing a short little series that mm -hmm. I guess this is the announcement for it. Um, where I was introduced to a lady who was born in Hungary and uh, in 1941, I think, or 42, 
And actually, her family had to just take to the hills to run from the Nazis. Yeah. And okay. uh, anyway, so it's going to be like a four or five part series of her time, you know, the running, the just craziness of post-war, then immigrating to America and being, oh, what's the word? Just integrating into American life. You're interviewing her? Yeah, I already have it all recorded. I'm just oh, editing it. It's been really fun. But what are some tips for like the audio and music landscape? Because that is something my husband made me a couple like boring backing tracks. But uh -huh. I feel super lost going into knowing when and what tone. And should music always be playing? Should you let there be just voices? Uh, I would say um, to uh, overall understand what you're what you're trying to convey in that moment or what she is conveying in that moment uh, i am not a fan of uh too much music uh and i think that when you're using it you're matching the tone and so when i put things together i always put the dry audio together first and i listen to it over and over again i am i am neurotic about audio grant will tell you that that is one thing that it's just the way like the way the podcast is put together all that stuff i'm very 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 uh focused on that and detail oriented about that so um yes to music but only to the extent that it is um building whatever you are trying to convey right and so whether it's fear because she's talking about having to run or whether it is sorrow or whether it's um, uh, uh, uneasiness of this new life. Uh, um, can you get music that is a part of that time period so that that even, uh, it, it's, it's how does this add to the experience? So many times I hear people just putting music behind it and I'm like, what is that there for? You know, just to, so that it's not a dry voice, that's fine. But in this instance, I think, um, I won't say less is more, I'll just say with every musical piece that you pick, ask yourself, why? Why is this beat? Why am I putting this here? And it, it just, it'll bring a new life out of whatever you're doing. Same thing with any sound effects or anything like that. Uh, some people just have sound effects everywhere. I don't need, you know, <laughs> I don't do a lot of sound effects. Like I'll have a soundscape. And so, um, you know, the Ruth um, podcast, if, if they're in the uh, field, then I have a background thing going on, right? It's like you can hear like little sheep and little, like that's, it's, that's nice. Like it's just like, like background, low, below it, very below it. So it's not overtaking it, but it puts the person's mind in that space. Does that make sense? Yeah. 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 I uh, joked to my husband when he um, when he showed me kind of what he had made. He made some pretty just mellow stuff, a couple more mm -hmm. ominous Is he sounding a things. Yeah, yeah, and oh, okay. he has okay. Logic Pro on his mm -hmm. laptop, and he's just a whiz at making what I want. And sometimes for an intro, I'll say none of the music I have is even kind of matching the tone mm -hmm. of this. I need yeah. it to be like a minute and forty seconds long. And he'll be like, oh, yeah, I got this. And an hour or so later, I have exactly what I wanted. 
Oh, wow. Yeah, that's amazing. it is really amazing. Anyway, but I joked that uh, now I can officially start emotionally manipulating people by the music <laughs> I choose. <laughs> <laughs> I think that that it, it's I, I like to think of it as I'm painting a picture for you. And so uh, the music is just another part of the coloring of how I want to paint this picture in your mind. Um, yeah. So that that's how I think about how how is this music contributing to the overall uh, point of, of what I'm trying to say or convey. Yeah, that's totally fair. Often, not often, I suppose sometimes I watch movies and I'll just think, I wonder what I would think would be happening right now if I didn't have music telling me what is happening right now. Yeah, you know where, where that is most prevalent, if you just want to laugh, uh, old westerns. Mm-hmm. My mother is Saddle Up Saturday is on. I don't even know what network that's on, but she will watch it from beginning to end. And that is, is dun dun dun. Yep. Sir, can you please have dun 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 dun? Like it's so loud, it's almost over the, the dialogue. Yeah. <laughs> it's just very powerful to let you know this. If you didn't pick up on it, this is a tense moment. So, yes, it's uh, music can be used for that, and, and it should be. Yeah. Um, well, I don't have any big, huge questions left, just my final okay. four. Um, <laughs> I appreciate you spending your evening with me. This is kind of just like a dream come true for me, just to be That's able to sweet. talk to you and to Brant and Barry Cooper and these people yeah. who have been so influential in – my life over the past, you know, five to 10 years. So it is just so cool to get to do this. Oh, great. So you talked to Barry. I love Barry. I'm very good friends uh, with his wife and uh, probably going to see them in a, in a couple of weeks and hang out with them. Yeah. For them. Um, I know he lives in Florida. How far away do you guys live? Um, that's uh, about two hours, maybe. Okay. That's not but bad, uh, when we did the first uh, Misfit tour, uh, his wife was on tour with us, and so uh, just absolutely adore her and him. And uh, had one night uh, during the whole uh, COVID situation, where everyone was kind of locked in. We were uh, it was kind of later in the year. They came here uh, with the baby, and she was uh, she only had the one baby. And um, Brant and Carolyn came here. It was so funny because. I have a pool and the baby kind of went out there and was just ready to get in the pool and uh, with her clothes on. And so we had, <laughs> we had to take, bring her in, put the clothes in the dryer. And at that moment, Brent and his wife came to the house and I was letting them into the garage and I had, uh, and I'm saying baby, but she's two maybe. And I had her and she, all she has is a diaper on and I come out to the driveway and Brent says, so is it this kind of party? <laughs> Uh, child has only been here for like three minutes and yeah. she's in a diaper so that's yeah, funny I, I love barry i love that you got a chance to talk yeah him. yeah and uh james is coming up soon i'm just making the rounds Great. i i have so few connections that i'm just getting every little bit of content i can get out of each one of them <laughs> that's the that's the way you should do it and i, I want to say kudos to you you're a wonderful interviewer um, I thoroughly enjoyed the um, the podcast with Brant and um, just insightful and 
um, engaging, and you do a wonderful job. And Thank I you. would not say that if that were not true. Thank you. Wonderful job. Thanks. I'm excited Thanks. to see where you go, and then we'll be able to have you on our show. Ooh, now we're yeah, talking. Yeah, we'll talk to your first or second assistant or whoever we got to talk to <laughs> to try to get you on, and then, yeah, if she doesn't have it, she, oh, well, she may be able to make it. We'll make it work. Yeah. That'll be fun. Yeah, awesome. Uh, well, I suppose let's go to my final four questions. And, you know, as always, take as much time as you feel the questions warrant. Um, okay. So do you prefer the office or Parks and Rec? I will tell you that I have not watched either of those. Okay, so <laughs> there's a plot hole here because you said you just love comedy. <laughs> that, um... I don't know. Okay, I have to say this about myself. I am a, and I know that it, this, this is the time that I should be taking it in, but there are certain things that I just don't connect with immediately, especially if everyone else is like, this is the funniest thing ever. Okay. Uh, I'm a person that's like, eh. And then out of nowhere, uh, I'll be like, huh, I wonder about that. And then I'll binge it. And so I'm always, yeah, no, I was going to say not always, but yes, I'm always behind everyone on things. And then when I start, when I, I'll be like, oh my goodness, the office, and I'll be over the moon because it's new. <laughs> and then <laughs> what I will do is, this is my MO, this is, this is deeper than you probably want to get. Then I'm all in. And so now I'm take like, I'm Googling every person, I'm Googling every line, I'm, you know, I'm going... Like, I just, you know what I just did that on? The Godfather. I had never uh, seen The Godfather. And out of nowhere, I was like, huh, let me watch this. Then I'm like, oh my gosh, that was amazing storytelling. And now I'm all over. I'm like, well, no one wants to talk about The Godfather right now. We watched that, Sherry, like 30 years ago. Yeah, okay. <laughs> and I'm thrilled. I, so I'll get there. 100% to relate to everything you just said. I just went through this like a month ago when I watched The Matrix for the first time. <laughs> because I'm a child, and so I was, like, not born, basically, yeah, when it came out. Right. So I watched it, and I was like, this is the best movie I've ever seen. I have, let's start it over right now. And then yeah. um, I contacted a guy, and I was like, we have to do a podcast episode about this. This is just the most mind-blowing movie I've ever seen. Yeah, yeah, yeah so, yeah. and I was going, like, just diving straight into the conspiracy theories about <laughs> everything. Yeah. <laughs> and it's so funny because nobody cares anymore yep that's the thing like i was yeah I, so so I, I will get into i'm sure both of those and i will get back to you but it's just not it not on my radar yet yeah I'm still yeah still working through saddle up saturday i guess <laughs> <laughs> old westerns uh. we'll get there <laughs> do you believe that genesis chapters one through eleven are history or myth slash legend? Oh, that's a great question. I have absolutely no clue. I love reading it. I think it tells me about who God is and how he is and how he thinks and how he loves. My Favorite part of that is when they, not when they sin, but when they create a covering for themselves. Yeah. And he takes upon himself 
the responsibility of covering them and how that is a precursor to what he will do overall. So that's how I approach it. I, I don't know. I, I, I honestly don't know. And, and were, I to, were, were I to find out either one, it wouldn't shake my faith one bit. I suppose I'd never thought too deeply about the them trying to make a covering and God saying, yeah, that was really bad. Here, let me do it. Yeah, because whatever you just did for yourself with leaves is actually going to deteriorate. And it is in blood has to be shed and I'll do it. Even though you sinned against me, I'm still going to cover you. And I remember that being one of the first things I learned in seminary. And it just blew my mind. And this is a church kid, right? Yeah. And I was like, he did. He showed us right in the beginning. I'm taking responsibility for you still. Still. After you reject me. After you, I I just, yeah. So that's, I mean, that doesn't answer your question, I guess. But that's what I get from that. Well, I would have to say that's a more insightful answer than I get most of the time. So I'll take it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's good. Good to know. Uh, oh, I know you're going to love this question. Uh, do okay. you, th- do you think that there are aliens? <laughs> I can, t- <laughs> I can tell you, I've never honestly even thought about it until I joined the Brand Hansen show. And so now aliens are a part of my existence, whether I like it or not, there's sci-fi questions flying around everywhere. We're blowing up their planets. Um, so I, uh, (laughs) I think the mind of God is so vast that sure, maybe, um, maybe I I don't know. And again, if if they were to show up, it wouldn't shake my faith at all. I'd be like, well, yeah, I I guess he created something over there too. Yeah. So possible. Again, we're back to the not overthinking nature of you. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I am. I am not a. Uh, yeah, let. I'm gonna say this very quickly because I know you probably have to go. But um, growing up, I talked a lot about my grandmother, but my grandfather was a Baptist preacher, 52 years, um, and he was is was so smart and witty and funny and observant, and uh, he was just a force, right? And so. We're in a room with my family, my cousins, my aunts, uncles, whatever. And you're constantly trying, number one, to impress him with your wit and with your, you know, observant uh, nature. And everyone's trying to do that. And everyone in this room is smart and everyone in this room is funny. And so when I talk about not really being like an overthinking person or it's because you're in this room, I'm in a room with the funniest, smartest comedians ever, right? And you're all trying to get to a punchline that'll impress this guy, my grandfather. And you got to get there. Like, I can't take the thing that everybody would say. I got to go two steps above it. And, we, and it's wit and it's quick. And someone's coming at you with something. And I don't have time to think about what they just said because now I got to go over there. Like, it, that was, that's my family dynamic. And so that's how I'm always constantly like, okay, yeah, great. Now this, now that, now that, that. And that's why I'm grateful uh, to work with Brant because it kind of slows my thought 
process down. I, I'm not a person that, that, you know, over overthinks things. And sometimes I should. <laughs> we just didn't have that luxury. Yeah. Sitting in my, sitting in my family. You got you, you to gotta shoot these bullets quick. Yeah. If you want to be heard, get it out. It actually yeah. contributes to what I do on the show because I have to think quick in the moment. I don't have time to think about what he just said. We have literally less than a minute and a half to get a whole thing out. And so I have to be in the moment with him. I have to process what he just said. I have to process what I'm going to say. All of that has to happen in 90 seconds. So it actually does contribute to, you know, what I'm able to do now. Yeah, that sounds extraordinarily difficult. All right, here's my last one. All right. Who or what inspires you to be your best self? And try not to say Jesus if you can avoid it. Jesus. Uh, <laughs> let's see. Um, <laughs> um, oh. Yeah, I would, I would say, I would say my mom, but I would say it in a way that, you know, it, uh, for this past Thanksgiving, because uh, you couldn't go anywhere, couldn't do anything, right? And I was being very cautious about my movements because she's older. Uh, we had Thanksgiving with Brant and his wife. It was literally just the four of us sitting out on their, in their little, uh, in between their townhouse, they have a little patio there. And we ate dinner out there. And we were talking about Enneagram. I don't know how into that you are, if you are. So-so. Yeah. So, um... Brent's wife was asking my mom, well, what are you on the Enneagram? My mom doesn't know anything about Enneagram. And Carolyn asked me, what do you think she is? And I said, I, I can't really, um, I can't position her. I'm not sure. And my mom said to me, it seems to me I would be whatever you are. And I thought, doggone it, that's right. She is a seven. I, I'm so uh, in touch with... <laughs> <laughs> the uh the challenging part of being a seven can you tell me what a seven is a I, seven is I, an enthusiast and so a seven it lives for uh the word that is constantly used is acquisitive always trying to acquire new uh experiences ah, okay uh new th yes just just always in the moment just that party person uh, once, okay, what's the next thing was always looking forward to the, and not in the moment, cause I'm looking forward to the next experience, but, and then, and then, so they're given to things like addiction and other things like that, because you're just constantly sure. looking, feeding that. But I thought, well, that's what a healthy seven looks like. Uh, a spirit filled seven, a seven who's grounded in scripture and in their relationship with God. And, and as I said, with the spirit I thought that okay then that's that's what I want and so she does inspire me to be that because I see how she is and how people are drawn to her and how her love for people is so genuine and how when she's looking at you and talking to you she is looking at you and talking to you there's not another person she did you ever talk to someone and you think you have their attention and their eyes kind of dart off to something else that's going on. And you're like, yes, you're not quite here with me. Yeah. Um, never her. And when you ask her to pray for you, she is praying for you and she wants updates and she will call you. How are you doing, baby? You doing all right? Yeah. So uh, I look at that and I have a really good example 
of the trajectory of how I would like to grow uh, and mature as a woman. I like it. And Jesus. (laughs) 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 Yeah, both. Both and. Yep. All right. Well, that wraps me up. Um, Again, thank you. What a great time. You are so welcome. I hope I didn't, when I get excited about certain things like theater and stuff like that, I can kind of go on and on. No, that's totally okay. And part of this podcast for me is I am so interested in what motivates people and like what Mm -hmm. makes those people them. I'm not just doing this because I have a certain amount of questions I want to ask. It's, Mm -hmm. I want to understand this person. So, I mean, if you want to rant about something, feel free because it just (laughs) helps me understand you more. Uh, I'm not much of a ranter. (laughs) (laughs) I think like in the moment I'm explosive. And so, but I'm uh, to rant, you have to have really just thought like, I just kind of in the moment I can Uh go off and, uh, and Brand Hansen has helped me in that regard too, because he, he just doesn't, he does, it's not in his nature. And I, I, yeah, God couldn't have put me with a better person. He really couldn't have. He did. He did. God did his good work there. Yeah. Because we're so the same in some of our thought processes and in the way we were raised and the trauma and the difficulty that we had being raised, but so different in the way we see the world that I can sit back and say, oh, like exploding in the moment, uh, temper, all of that. That was so natural to me. That when I got paired with him and kind of just learned, I, I was like, gosh, that's so different. Like these people are saying certain things to him. He's kind of just going beyond. He would see the best in people. And that was not my nature and probably still isn't. Um, to he, he, Yeah, it's just, yeah. So I don't rant much. But if you cross me in a Walmart parking lot, it might be a skirmish <laughs> or two every once and again. But God's working on me. <laughs> He is. He's working uh, on me. <laughs> all right. Well, um, I suppose I should let you go. Um, thank you so yeah. much. I appreciate the time and you wanting to talk to me. I'm honored. Of course. I really am. I mean that. Me too. I should probably, I always forget this. Um, mm-hmm. You should probably tell the people where they can find you. If you, do you use social media? That kind of stuff. Yeah, I do. Um, you can find me on, uh, I think, I am Sherry Lynn. If you type in I am Sherry Lynn, S-H-E-R-I-L-Y-N-N, uh, I think that'll bring up a lot of stuff. Okay. <laughs> so I think uh, I just recently uh, did a YouTube channel. I had a, a person that I grew up with who's really fallen on hard times. Um, I reached out to her to see how she was doing. And she was like, do you have a YouTube channel with like your stand up and all that stuff? And I said, I don't, but I will. And I went literally, this is the obsessive excessive nature. I went that night and created, I took all the content I have of stand up, musicals, all the stuff. And I just created a YouTube channel. So, oh, uh, yeah. So if you type in, I am Sherry Lynn, I think, uh, uh, I think you'll find some stuff on me and you won't be disappointed perfect i'm sure nobody will be (laughs) 
Thank you. This was wonderful. Yes. Okay. Talk to you soon. All right. If you need anything else, let us know. Okay. See ya. All right. Bye.